Today, we're going to learn a Sicha from the Rebbe from volume 17. And it's a Sicha on Pirkei Avos, on the ethics of our fathers. There are two places through the set of Lakuta Sichos where there it goes through each chapter of Lakuta Sichos, and the Rebbe gives us his insights. Most years, when there was a Fabring, and give you a little background to this, when there was a Fabring between Pesach and Rosh Hashanah months, so basically all the summer months, if there was a Fabring on the Shabbos, almost always the Rebbe would explain at least one Mishnah, one paragraph Mishnah from the Mishnayos of the ethics of our fathers, the Pirkei Avos. As the tradition is that there are six Shabbosim, six Shabbosim between Pesach and Shavuos. So we all learn one chapter of the six chapters each one of those six weeks. And it's brought down that even after Shavuos, Torah Rosh Hashanah, we should keep on cycling each week another chapter. And when you finish six weeks, you start it again and again. The idea is, is that since in the summer, human nature is to let our guards down a little bit. So we need some extra encouragement. So by learning the ethics, the ethical values of our sages, you get to give ourselves some extra strength. In 1975, that's when the Rebbe said this sicha was actually in the summer in Parsha Shlach, when we learned, like this week, we're going to learn chapter 3 of the Pirkei Avos, and there it was chapter 3 that week. And it was an amazing, amazing fabrengen, because the Rebbe spoke about the the, uh, eclipse from the, uh, with the, with the, right, where the sun and the moon, they, they eclipse and things get dark. And he bring, brought, spoke all about the nature and the science about that. And he also spoke about several lessons that we could learn from the invention of computers. <laughs> he spoke about the significance of it, of how you program it and how you could take a lesson that people rely on the studies that the people that make the computers and the programs and you trust their calculation and their systems of, of way, ways of making calculation. And however, whatever information you put into computer, that's what it has. And it can do unbelievable things. And what he learned there, the strong lesson that when it comes to Torah and mitzvahs, let's say putting on tefillin, you don't have to come and say, oh, I don't understand the significance of it. If you rely in computers on those greater and smarter than you, surely when it comes to the spiritual things, we can rely on our great sages that devoted their whole lives to the details behind the, the scenes of like a tefillin. So he learned about the computers. He could see that it was a very sicha, a, a fabrengen, a very connecting with, you know, so to speak, down to earth, you know, with worldly matters. And we're going to see here in this unbelievable Pirkei Avot Sicha, we're going to see the Rebbe's revolutionary way of learning and studying the simple meaning of the Mishnas of the Pirkei Avos and how he takes a simple understanding and asks many questions on it and then shows us how to read it with another set of glasses and when you read it like that, all of a sudden the whole thing is like, you know, you're, you're in like a new space. So, Let's dive right into it. The second Mishnah of chapter 3 reads the following. Rabbi Hanina, Sagan HaKohanim, Oimer. Rabbi Hanina, who was the assistant of uh, the, or the leader of the Kohanim, 
he would say the following. He said, We should pray for the well-being of the government, of the government. So wherever you live, you should pray that there should be a good government and that the government should be a, a government. There should be a government. Why is it so important to pray that there should be a, a, a government? So he said, because if not, you will you should be scared that ish that one man will swallow up. I'm giving you the literal translation. The worry is if you don't have a normal good government, that the worry is that one man will swallow alive his friend. That's how chaotic a situation could be. If you don't have a government and you don't have a well government, imagine people will swallow up each other alive. So that's a good enough reason to motivate us to pray to God that there should be a good government. So that's, that's the first half of this Mishnah. Now the Rebbe has several questions on this Mishnah, which when you think about it, it's like, where were we? How come we didn't think of all these questions? They're so like obvious. Question number one is, the sages have taught us that when you look at the whole set of the Mishnah, the Talmud, most of the tractates or almost all the tractates are all about law. It helps us to understand the law of the Torah. But this particular book of the ethics of our fathers are called the ethics, which ethics means your ethical values, which means it's not the letter, the literal letter of the law. So what is the whole book of this book of Mishnah? It's about learning the beyond the letter of the law. If you want to know the law, study the rest of the Mishnah. But if you want to study what's the ethical values, which is more than just the law, do this and don't do that. For that, you have this tractate of of us, of our ethics of our fathers. So the words of this entire book is not laws. It's all about beyond the letter of the law. It's characteristic traits of how we should conduct ourselves, how we should think more than just following the law. Because we all know if you follow a law, you may not be a mensch if you only follow the law, you know? So there's things you got to know in being in society, in many, many better values. For example, where, where do you see that the ethics of our father, this book here, this, this six chapters, is about beyond the letter of the law? For example, in the first Mishnah of this, three chap- of this third chapter, of this week's chapter, it says that a person should, should indulge themselves in three things, and you won't come to do a sin. That means, it doesn't say, don't do the sin. It says, if you think about three, three, three different things, then this will help you not to come to do a sin. That means thinking about these three things are an extra exercise to prevent you from the actual sin. So if you do this exercise of these three points, which is basically to, to remember that there's an eyes that watch you from above, one day you're going to have to give accounting to the king in heaven. You know, when you die, you're going to have to give an accounting of all your deeds. So when you think about all these ideas, it helps you 
You won't come to do a sin. So you see, it's about preventative steps. It's not the step itself of the sin. So the question is, this instruction to pray for the welfare of the government seems like it's not even beyond the letter of the law. It's just, what is it? What is this instruction? Pray for a good government. How, do, what, how does that interpret itself in doing something more than the letter of the law? In other words, what does this instruction from Hanina Skana Cohen in teaching us that has to do with beyond the letter of the law? What does this mean? It's a very nice idea. Pray for the government. But in what way is this making you and I in our practice to God to do more than just what the rule is? What, what, how does this fit in? On the contrary, to tell somebody that we're worried that you're going to swallow up another person alive, whoa, that's not beyond the letter of the law. That is a law. We all, we all know that you're supposed to take care of your health and the health of your friend. So if you're worried that you're going to be eating up your friend and he's not going to be alive, then that's, that's a rule. That's not beyond the letter of the rule. So in other words, if the whole book is all, is all about beyond the letter of the law, why is this beyond the letter of the law? This is a law that we're not allowed to swallow up another person. That's question one. Question two, as we all know by now, that the Rebbe would very often uh, dig into the use of words because it's in the use of the words that our sages say means a lot. So when the sages say, pray for the welfare of the government so that we shouldn't be afraid that one person will swallow up another person alive. It says, what kind of expression is that? Swallow up another person alive. The normal way to say it is, pray for the welfare of the government so that we don't kill each other. Why do we use such a weird or unusual expression so that I don't eat up another person alive? We all know that this is just not a, it's not really doesn't mean that literally that I'm going to swallow you up alive. What a human could swallow another person alive. Obviously, it doesn't mean that. What does it really mean that we shouldn't get to kill each other? Well, in that case, say what you mean. Why are you writing this in a cryptic way? So that in order, one person won't swallow another person alive. What does that mean? Actually, we find this this use of word not to kill another person. We find this in the Torah, in Parsha Vayera, in the city of Gerar. Abraham traveled with his wife Sarah to Gerar. And over there, there was a king Avimelech. And he took Sarah, right? And then he, he got a message from heaven. You better not touch this woman. She's a holy woman. Don't touch her. And he got all spooked out. So he gives back Sarah to, 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 to Abraham and he tells Abraham, one second, you told me when I asked you or my guards, they asked you, who is this woman? And you said, it's your sister. So I'm a, I'm a kosher guy. I only, I didn't take a married woman. I took your sister. So she's a single woman. That's okay. But why did you tell me that lie that she's your sister? You should have told me the truth that she's your wife and I would have never ever taken her. So what did Abraham say? 
Avram said, hey, when I came into Gror, I saw there's no God-fearing people here in Gror. So I figured you're going to kill me so that my wife will be a widow. I didn't want you to kill me. So I said that she's my sister. So that was his answer. But what do you see from this? That we do use the word kill when necessary. Abraham said that there's no God-fearing people in the city, so you're maybe going to kill me. So why couldn't we use that word in the Mishnah here? Say, pray for the welfare of the government in order that people won't kill each other. Or you could say at least that people won't rob each other. Pray, it's another good new word you could use. Pray for the welfare of, that, of the government so that people won't rob. Or, or any kind of... But why are you using the word that people will swallow up another person alive? Chaim Beloi. I'm going to swallow you alive. What, what, where, where do, why do we use such a word? That's the second question. The third question is, we all know that everything that happens in the world is the way all the nations of the world say it. It's all dependent on the Jews. We know it's a true thing. It's not a folly. It's true. And we, there's a verse in the Torah for this. It says that, Es ha'olam nasan belibam, I gave the world into their hearts. From here we see that if it wasn't for the fear that people will swallow each other alive, that means that concept of swallowing up each other alive is something that we could find also by the non-Jews. In other words, in society, it's possible that people will swallow up each other. Through this, of the way Jews behave, the rest of the world could behave the same way, of possible swallow, swallowing each other alive. But says the Rebbe, whoa, 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 what do you mean? What do you mean? The world's going to learn from us that we go crazy when we don't have good government and we eat each other up each other alive. So the world's going to do that too. How's it possible that Jews should eat each other alive? We have many commandments about not killing. Of not killing each other, let alone not stealing and so on. So if it wasn't for the government, you really think that a Jew would swallow up another person alive? Like, I mean, are you like serious? Like, is this really what the Mishnah is saying? And not just anybody. It said, Ish es ra'ehu. Ra'ehu means your friend. It said a man will eat up or swallow up his friend alive. So no less. Who, who are you suspecting that will swallow up another person? Is a Jew to their friend? We're talking about Jews that always try to follow the beyond the letter of the law, as we said, that's the point of this book. So I need to tell you that you should pray for a good government, that I shouldn't swallow up my friend. I mean, like, how far have we gone? So those are the Rebbe's three questions first. So let's summarize the three questions. The Mishnah says, a person should pray to God you have a mispalel bishloma shalom shalmalchos. You should pray for the welfare of the government in order not to be afraid that one person will swallow up alive their friend. The Rebbe says, question number one is, the whole point of Pirkei Avos, ethics of our fathers, is to teach us principles that are beyond the letter of the law. Well, you know, this is not beyond the letter. Not to kill another person is the law. This is not 
the place for the law. This is a place only beyond the letter of the law. Question number two, why do we use the expression, not a, maybe it's not an expression, why do you say that we need to pray for government in order not to swallow another person alive? You should have said in order not to kill each other or to rob each other. And question number two, if the whole world behaves in the way the Jews behave, are we really suspecting that a Jew who has so many laws of, eth- of real laws of staying in line would come to such a point that they may swallow up no less than your friend alive? Like, what does the Mishnah mean here? So those are his first three questions. Now, the Mishnah, in the way it, it, it's laid out in the ethics of our fathers, are very interesting. First of all, there are six chapters. Each chapter has a certain amount of paragraphs. In our Mishnah, we have two halves to the Mishnah. The first half of the Mishnah is the one we just learned. Pray for the welfare of the government. Then it continues and it says, Rabbi Hanina, another Hanina person. This one is Hanina, the son of Teradion. He said the following. When two people sit down and you don't talk words of Torah... You're a bunch of ladegers. You know what that means? Yeah, but you're wasting time. You're a bunch of bums. You're Meshav Leitzim. It's a place where people are sitting and yapping and telling jokes. Waste of a time, etc. Tells you, you know, that's a bad thing. But when two people sit and actually talk words of Torah, ah, divine presence comes and rests with you in your space. Right? Now that's, that's called a motivational ethical value. Obviously the law is you should never waste a minute always learn Torah. His point is to teach you an ethical beyond the letter of the law. If you have two people, you and a friend sitting and schmoozing and not, nothing valuable of Torah coming out of that, that's a Moshe of Leitzim, place of bums. But if you're both talking Torah, God's presence is there. Okay, I like that, right? Now, the Rebbe says, we have discussed this many times. It's already brought down in volume four of the Kutusichos over there where he talks about Perkyavis. He brought down there that the breakup of the paragraphs called the Mishnas, each Mishnah breakup, whether you combine two Mishnas together as one or whether each one is separate, actually makes a halachic difference. So in other words, if you take a chapter and you break it up into 20 paragraphs or call 20 Mishnas, or you break it up into 10 Mishnas, there could be a law difference. For example, if a man is marrying this, a woman and he says to the woman, listen here, I'm going to marry you in the condition that you should know that I am a learned man. I'm not, you know... An ignoramus. I'm a learned scholar of Mishnahs. I know Mishnahs. So you should know you're marrying, you know, you're marrying a scholar that knows Mishnahs. So the law is that if he lied and he really does not know Mishnahs, the marriage was never a marriage. And you don't even need a, a get. Because the, the, the marriage was based on a condition. And he never had the condition met. But if he does know Mishnah, then the marriage is a good marriage. Well, the question is, how many Mishnahs do you need to know if you said that our marriage is a good marriage that you sh- in, in the condition because you know that I'm, I'm, a, you know, I'm a scholar of Mishnahs. So the rule is 
that you have to know at least three Mishnas. If you know three Mishnas, then your marriage is a good marriage. <laughs> That's considered your scholarly Mishnah expert, you know, if you know three Mishnas. So that means that the breakup of the Mishnas make a difference. Because if I break up every little statement into more Mishnas, then you could be, it could make a difference if you're really married or not. <laughs> Some say that this is the reason why the Alter Rebbe put in the Chabad Siddur the whole six chapters of the Pirkei Avos. Now granted, it's because we learn it Shabbos afternoon after Mincha. But technically, it didn't really need to be in the Siddur. He could have said, go study this. And you'll go to your shelf and you'll take out a Mishnah of Pirkei So the fact that he included in the Siddur, some say because Alter Rebbe wanted to specify his opinion of tradition of which Mishnahs are br- the breakup. If these are together Mishnahs or separated Mishnahs. So now in our context. The first half of the Mishnah said you should pray for the welfare of the government so we don't eat each other up alive. Swallow each other alive, right? The second half of the Mishnah says that two people that learn Torah and you don't, sorry, two people that sit and don't talk Torah is a mush of leitzim. But if two people do talk Torah, God's presence is there. So the Rebbe, okay. The fact that the Alter Rebbe put both of these half of statements together, these two different statements into one Mishnah, must be that there's a connection between these two. Otherwise, they don't make sense to be in one Mishnah. So what's the connection of pray for the welfare of the government to the second half of the Mishnah, which, by the way, there are several old Mishnah printings that have these two Mishnahs separate as separate Mishnahs. But the Alter Rebbe included them and said, I have the version and I'm going with that opinion that they're really one. That means there is got to be a connection between the first half that says, pray for the welfare of the government, and the second half that says that two people sitting together should be talking Torah. Well, what's the connection? If you think about it, actually the second half about two people sitting together and don't talk to her, it's a Moshe of Leitzim, and if you do talk, he says that actually, by the way, fits with the next Mishnah afterwards. It should have been with that Mishnah, because the next Mishnah afterwards, Rabbi Shimon said that three people that sit together and don't talk Torah, etc., etc., etc. So that so the two people learning or not learning makes sense to be together in the next Mishnah that talks about what if three people are sitting and don't talk Torah. Much makes much more sense. So the fact that it's here together in this same Mishnah must be that there's a connection between the two. And we have to figure out what's this connection or else how could a person sleep? Now when the Rebbe says this at his Fabrengans on Shabbos, now you know why people didn't go to sleep. There was no Shabbos Shluf in Crown Heights. Because how could you sleep when you have such a question at a Fabrengan? It's like, you got to understand. It doesn't make sense. A person's going to swallow another person alive. Like, where do you come up with these kind of expressions of words, sages, you know? And, and so on. So, right? and by the way, the Rebbe's style was, just so you know, by the Fabrangans, he would say, let's talk some questions on the Chumash. Then he would say, let's talk some questions on the Pirkeyavos. Then he would say, let's talk some questions, some years he did the Rambam. Then he would say, let's talk some questions on his father's work when it got released from uh, from his jail and whatever. He got the books of his father's Torah and the Kabbalah, the, on the Torah. He would ask a bunch of questions there. So he would ask all the questions 
and then go off to other topics, like I said, in that Fabrengan about computers and about the eclipsing and whatever. Not, and then at the end of the Fabrengan, where you know you can't sleep without these answers, he would give you all the answers. You know, so it's interesting how that was structured. Most Fabrengans was that kind of setup. So you know, you you would think ask a question on this, answer the question, then go to another topic. But you know, he was a, the Rebbe was a good teacher. He knew how to you know drill it in. So. The explanation is the following. Since, as we said, the book of Pirkei Avos, Ethics of Our Fathers, is called Mile de Chasidusa. This, these are the words of Chasidus. Meaning, what does it mean, Chasid? What does it mean, a Chasid? A Chasid means that you try to conduct your life beyond the letter of the requirements, beyond the letter of the law. So since this book is all about practicing beyond the letter of the law, that means that it's lessons for a Jew which is dependent in studying of Torah and practicing of mitzvahs. And the only thing that you're missing is the Hasidic way. In other words, the, the beyond the letter of the law. That you shouldn't just learn Torah because that's my requirement and done, my checklist, I'm done. Right? Right? It's not about, Judaism is not about a checklist. Boom, I did my shir, I'm done. I did my 10-minute class, you know, I'm done. It's not an exercise machine. You know, you went to the gym, I did my thing. It's not like that. So there are requirements. Yes, I have to daven three times a day, say the words, but there's more than that. There's your heart, there's feelings, and so on and so forth. So the point is that beyond your learning Torah mitzvahs, there's more. Therefore, it's obvious that there's no room to even say the words that we need to pray for the government in order that you shouldn't steal from another Jew. And certainly, there's no room to even suggest to say the words that pray for the welfare of the government in order that I shouldn't touch the life of another Jew. Now you know why he didn't use the words Ishes Re'eu Haregu that I'm praying for the welfare of the government in order that you, one person shouldn't kill his friend. That's obvious. We're talking here to people that do the beyond, that do the laws already. We're talking here to people that want to do beyond the letter of the law. So to say that in order that you shouldn't kill each other or steal from each other, that's you don't need this book for that. That's what not this is not about that. So when it says don't swallow a person alive, what does that mean? Not that you that you want to touch your friend, God forbid, his life or his, pro- or his, or his uh, possessions from a second person. I want one thing. I want to swallow you alive means that I want to swallow your existence, your behavior of the other person that it should be included in me. This is not talking about stealing killing a person. I want that my level of commitment to Hashem, which I feel so passionate about, that my view is the right view. I know the best way to connect to Hashem. I study Torah mitzvahs all the time and therefore I want that you should be swallowed up into me. Obviously means more than it's not can't be killing and stealing. So obviously what it means is much more sensitive to this. It means swallow up you, your views into mine. That's what I want. 
I want your views to fit with my views. Meaning, the, the good qualities that you have, that you're a perfect person in studying Torah, and you do all the mitzvahs, and therefore you see the negatives of another person who doesn't do it perfectly. Especially if the other person is a simple person in his knowledge of Torah, and even possibly he lacks his perfectionist in doing a mitzvah in the highest level of performing a mitzvah in the best way, will lead you that you, you come to a, a, a full conclusion that the other person must be nullified to you and to your views. And even more, you may say that it's my obligation and my merit to swallow you up to see everything the way I see it. You're so passionate about it. That's what it means that you may swallow another person. Now, we're concerned about that. Rabbi Hanina Skan HaKohanim said, I'm concerned about this. How can we get that a person should be more humble not to view yourself as Mr. Mrs. Perfect and the other person is lacking and the other person is the imperfect person. And I want to swallow you up to see it and behave exactly like I behave. In order to deflate this feeling and conduct, it's not enough just to rationalize it in your mind. Because on the contrary, because my, my intellectual conclusion is that I'm not talking about a fool or somebody that's a, that's a you know a, a thick headed grub young or something. God forbid. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about that you are a very knowledgeable person in Torah and in your practice of mitzvahs, and we're talking about that you feel at that time that your friend is far from your level, and therefore you are right that maybe my calculation is true, and it's even demanded from the Torah like this. And especially if the other person needs to grow. So since intellectually you are so confident that your view is so right spiritually, that you're on a good place and the other person is lacking that level, and therefore, even after everything, all my intellectual and all my conclusions that the, about the other person, maybe I won't be able to change my attitude. And I will think that the other person has to be swallowed up in my view. So the solution, the etza, the advice is in order to stop thinking like that. Take this out of your head. When you see another person and you think that you're greater than that person, that person has to be swallowed up in your view. In order to stop this way of thinking, the advice is to fulfill the lesson and instruction of this Mishnah. Pray for the welfare of who? Malchus, of sovereignty, of the king, of the government. Why? How's that going to help? If I, if I pray for the welfare of the government, that's going to help that I sh- should deflate my level of ambition that you have to see everything the way I see it? How's that going to help? So he says here like this. There's two kinds of government. There's the government that you could see, the material government that runs your countries, 
or in the days of kings, there was the king that ran your country. And then there's the king of all the kings. There's the heavenly God, the heavenly king. That's the king of all kings. He rules the whole, the whole world, right? How can I get to have fear of God, of the king of all kings, if I have a government here in this world that will help me to start to think about the king of all kings? And that will give me a fright, a shake, to realize I have to think of other people a little bit differently. Let's explain this. So he brings down, the sages teach us, it's brought down in the Talmud and in the Zohar in several places in the Kabbalah, that any time there's sovereignty, there's power of government or an individual person down here in this earthly world, it's because they have a godly power that's a reflection on them from the heavenly worlds. What does this mean? That there's a chain of reaction in the powers of sovereignty. How is it possible that one person should be a king and the other person should be not a king? What is it about this person that this person became a king, elected a king, whatever it is? The bottom line is that the presence of the king in our room makes, makes everybody give up that honor and stuff like that. What is it? How does that happen? The way it happens is because there's a chain of, re, of descending from the highest worlds, the worlds where there's the godly king, meaning the, con- the concept where Hashem is the king, he has all the angels and he has all the, the spheres and all the stuff in the heavenly worlds. And that goes down, it comes through all these worlds until it comes to the concept of a leader down here in this world. That means that if you go back up in the line from this world all the way up to power and sovereignty, to, 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 to the mayor, to the, to, to, the, to, the, to the prime minister, to a king, you go all the way up the line, ultimately you're going to continue going all the way, all the way up. You're going to get to the line of the king of all kings. Therefore, when you pray for the welfare of the government in this world, that they should be, Shalom, they should be strong and, 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 and run the country well. The reason for this is because that will awaken in you to realize that there's a deeper level, there's the king of all kings, which is Hashem, which is even stronger than all these kings down here in this world. And therefore, when a Jew is holding by the level of looking for beyond the letter of the law, and therefore, everything move that you do, you're trying to get to the deep truth of it. So my prayer is that the government should be well. That makes the government of the government of governments, of Hashem's government, to be well and complete in my heart. And by the way, he brings down in a footnote here that this is a lesson that for a Jew to behave in this way, to pray for the welfare of the government, that's like a beyond the letter of the law to go that far. And that will make that people should be afraid that you shouldn't have this concept of eating each other up alive for the whole world, that the whole world, all the nations of the world will also behave like that. The Goyim in your country will also behave like that, not to swallow each other. Because by the Goyim on their selves, they don't have naturally that fear of the government. They only have a fear of the courts 
and punishments. It's not the fear of the government per se. It's the fear of what will happen if I don't listen to the rules, then I could get schlepped into court, I could have a, a, a big f- penalties and so on and so forth, right? So in other words, it's a level that's not necessarily about the king itself. The king itself, the Jew is concerned about the king itself because the king itself is a reflection of the higher kings. And therefore, that awakens us in this world to feel the government, to feel the higher government, until you feel the highest of all, which is the king uh, Hashem itself. This fear of the essence of God himself affects in the person, when you think about all this, it elevates you. It elevates you to feel proper about another person. Because now I'm going to feel the way it is for the king. For Hashem, what's the unique thing about Hashem? And and by the way, let's talk about it the way it is for a king in this world. For a king in this world, one of the unique things is that by a king, there's no difference between a great person and a simpleton person. You're all the same. There's no difference. If a person doesn't pay their taxes, is it a bigger punishment if the person is a bigger person or a smaller person? It didn't pay. It didn't pay. In other words, by the government, if you didn't pay late, no matter who it is, you're going to have to go through a screening of penalty, right? Or whatever it is. So in other words, by the government level, by the kingship level, there's no difference between a big and a small person. So this idea will actually inspire us not to look down at another person that I should want to swallow up the other person. Of course, we're not talking about, as we said before, swallowing up or killing another person because that we don't have to tell a Jew. This is beyond the letter of the law. So what does it mean that you shouldn't swallow up another person in attitude that I'm greater and I look at him that he's a smaller person. Because when you think about the king of all kings, you realize that we're all equal. I I'm, I feel that I'm so great in my Torah and my mitzvahs and the other person is less. Okay, who are you to think so? In the eyes of the king, a bigger, perfect person is just as good as a smaller person. That's the king's calculation. So in other words, it's an awakening, inspiring idea to realize the power of a king. And now, I want to share with you a story that he brings down in the footnotes, an amazing story. It's a story about the Alter Rebbe. When the Alter Rebbe was in jail, I believe this was the year 1798, a couple years ago. So we all know that the Alter Rebbe was in jail for 53 days corresponding to the 53 Parshas in the Torah, corresponding to the 53 chapters in the Tanya, corresponding to the word Gan, Garden, the Garden of Eden is Gan, is Nun Gimel 53. And during those 53 days, the government, the higher government, all the way up to St. Petersburg, they heard amazing things about this man who they arrested. Stories were going back. Remember, I told you all the stories where he was going Friday, didn't want to travel, the, and the axles broke. They had to stay there on the side, until the horse broke, they had to stay there on the side of the road till after Shabbos. The boat stops in the middle of the, of, of the river because he had to bless the new moon. I mean, the stories came to the government. So the czar decided 
that he's going to dress up in the clothes of a peasant. And he was curious. He wanted to go see and meet this holy man. So the czar gets dressed up in clothes of a peasant. And he's escorted to the prison building. Remember, he was like an Alcatraz place, you know, like a, this little off the, off the, take a boat. And he descends down into the cell where there was no windows, no lights. And he comes into the cell where the Alter Rebbe is. And when the Alter Rebbe sees him, he jumps up to give honor and respect to the Tsar. And he says, you are the Tsar. <laughs> the Tsar was shocked by this. Now we have to try to remember what 200 years ago was like, or 250 years ago, nobody knew what the czar looks like. How did you know what the czar looks like unless you saw him? It's not like today, right? We all have pictures on our phones and uh, every, all over the place. It's, you, you know what every prime minister looks like in two seconds. Every president, it's not, that's, that's no problem. But then you, it wasn't like that. So how did the Alter Rebbe know that this was the czar? And the czar himself was so curious that he said to the Alter Rebbe, you are right, but how do you know that who I am? He never met him before. And the Alter Rebbe said that when you walked in, I felt an awe and a fear travel onto me. Now remember, we just finished saying that the kingship in this world is because it's a reflection from the kingdom of the higher worlds. So when this man walks in, what did the Alter Rebbe feel? He felt the kingdom of the higher worlds, that sovereignty level, he felt that through this person. And Alter Rebbe gave him this respect. Now, by the way, I'm sure the conversation had to change because he prepared a bunch of questions like a simpleton man. And all of a sudden, now Alter Rebbe knows he's the czar. So he needed, you know, he had to ask his questions a slightly different. But we'll talk about his questions another time. But just this point is what's relevant here is that if you're a very refined person like the Alter Rebbe, you're able to feel this stuff and see it in this world. Now, the Rebbe continues like this. Everybody has a Yetzirah, the evil inclination. The evil inclination, as it says, he's a uman. He's an expert at what he does. And the job of the Yetzirah is to cool down your passion. And to pull down a person. Therefore, it's possible that with the time... My excitement that I prayed for the government to be good, to be a welfare, good welfare government, should dry out, and I won't be so excited about the idea anymore. Once, once let's say the government's in place, right? Do I have to think about it? Do I, do, do, maybe it's going to lead that soon. I'm going to go back to my bad behavior, and I'm going to start thinking lower about the next person, and I'm going to want to swallow them up alive into my view. Maybe you're going to come back to that way of thinking. Because that's what the Yitzhahara does. The Yitzhahara does that. He tries to get you a little later if he can't get you today. Ah, so for this, he says, let's pay attention to the word use over here about praying for the government. Which word did it use? It used the word pray for the welfare of the government. Have a mitpalel. 
Mispaleo, mitpaleo means to tefillah, to daven. Daven for the welfare of the government. Don't rely on this, on your thinking of the values of the government. No, 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 no. You have to also pray. And you have to keep on asking for this. And then if you pray, Hashem responds with His extraordinary goodness and His kindness as it's brought down. The expression is chesed chinam, where Hashem his, gives His free kindness. In other words, even if you don't earn it, He gives it to you. As the expression in the sages is, if Hashem wouldn't help us, we would never be able to succeed in our service. So in other words, you pray to Hashem that I should have this feeling all the time to remember all the time the real king, the king of the world, that through thinking about the king here, I would be able to understand and feel the awe of the king above. With this, we now could understand first a footnote. Fascinating footnote. As you all know, we, the Rebbe many times would also talk about a Mishnah of the, the names of the author who the Mishnah says, says a quote. Why is it relevant to know that Rabbi Chanina, Skan Hakonim, he's the one that said, pray for the welfare of the government, if not, you know, right, what ha- may happen. What's this thing about his name? Just tell me the statement. The fact that you're telling me his name, it's relevant. So he brings that in the footnote with this we'll understand why I have to know his name because there are many opinions and the Rebbe brings down a whole list of sources that say that one of the ten martyrs that were killed by the Roman emperor of the sages. We all know the story if you're in Shul on Yom Kippur late enough. If you don't take the break too early, you stay in Shul for Musaf. And during Musaf, you see, we read there in the Machsar on Yom Kippur, you read about the ten martyrs that died, Al-Kiddush Hashem, for sanctification of God's name. Right? And what did they say? What did the sages say to the king? They said, before we will submit ourselves to be killed, we need to check if this is what God wants us to do. If God says this is his decree, we're going to do it. But if it's your decree, you know, <laughs> it doesn't work like that. We only follow what Hashem says. So we know the story of Yishmael, the, the Kohen Gadol. He, he wrapped himself in, in, uh, in his talus and he said the four-letter name of Hashem and he called out and he said, is this your decree? And Hashem says, yes, this is my decree. So Rabbi Hanina was one of those ten that the government killed him as a messenger, and that they were the messengers of Hashem. In other words, it's Hashem that told us to go to you to be killed. But what do you see from this? Why? Because he was one of those that submitted himself, that when he sees the king, what does he really see? This king on this earth was just a messenger of the king, of the real king. So when the real king says, yes, that's my messenger, listen to this king, they got it. They were able to follow this. By the way, the Rebbe brings down from several, uh, it, there's a lot of debate of exactly who were the ten that were included. We know some of them, some of them, there's different opinions. Actually, he brings down that in our machsir that we use, he's not mentioned as one of the ten. But regardless, he, he's, it, in many opinions say that he is, and it would, be, it would be because he felt this. When he saw government, he felt 
this idea of the higher government world. But now we can go back to understand the connection of the first half of the Mishnah regarding praying for the welfare of your government to the second half, that if two people are sitting together and you don't study Torah, you're a mush of leitzim, a bunch of bums. If you do study, two people study Torah, then the divine presence there. Because this, the, the real attitude for a person is that holding at the level of following the laws beyond the letter of the law, which means you're doing every Torah mitzvah in a highest level that you know how, that helps to nullify your arrogance over another person. And that comes also from learning how many people? Two. When two people are learning, what does that mean when it's two people? What's the significance of the two? The main thing of a person learning Torah is that you should toil in the Torah. That means that everything else in your life is always secondary to the Torah. Torah is your number one thing of your life. As the verse says, King Solomon says, it's brought down, sorry, in Jeremiah it says, Al Yishal Chacham A wise person should never dance that they're so wise. A strong person should never dance and be excited that you're strong. A rich person should never be dancing that I'm so rich. Why? Why not? What's the problem? Walk around, I'm so smart. What's wrong? I'm so smitey. I'm so rich. What's the problem with that? Because wisdom, strength, and wealth are all things that have an end time. There's an end. There's an end date for all this. Ki'im bezos yishalal. Only what should you praise about and jump and dance about? What should you be excited about? The wisdom of knowing God. The Torah is the only thing that's everlasting. That's our chayenu v'erech yamenu. That's what gives us our life, our length of life, is the studying of Torah. As the sages say, Put aside all works of the world and one thing. What should you teach your son? Put aside all trades, except for one thing, to learn with your kid Torah. In other words, Everything that's important to teach your, your child is very important, but nothing supersedes the importance of teaching your kid Torah. So yes, you should have to teach your kid to trade, put them in school, send them to classes, courses, whatever. But the most important thing is the Torah because that's lasting. And since Torah is the true thing and toiling in the Torah, it's understood that the nullification of my existence, when I measure it in comparison to another person has to be nullified completely. And that's why it says two people are learning Torah. As long as you're Torah, it's only you that learns Torah. I'm the teacher. I'm the Torah scholar between you and I. That's a one person. But when there's a two, what does that mean? That it's not about me anymore. So when you, if you run a school, you run a class and you're a teacher, you're a Rosh Hashiva, whatever you are, doesn't matter. It has to be that you too are learning together. In other words, that has to be that you have to look at it that it's an equal concept. Especially when you can nullify yourself to this truth, then when you learn with your friend in the way of two people learning Torah, that the two becomes one. Because none of you view yourself one's greater than the other. 
And that's when the divine province, uh, prime, the divine presence of Hashem rests. Because it's all one entity now. Like we know that when a Jew is n- nullified to his learning through prayer, how? Through praying for the welfare of the government that arouses your excitement about the big government, the big king. And that we are two people learning together and divine presence comes down. Then I realize that what's coming down? I realize that God himself is coming down, not through anymore, through the government of my country. It's God himself that's really running this whole thing. And that brings us to the highest level of awe to Hashem. And based on all this, he throws in here a beautiful insight and he concludes with this idea. The Mishnahs in the Pirkei Avos, one of the things that they do is after they say a statement, is they quote a verse from somewhere in the Tanakh. In other words, the verse gives support to the way of thinking of beyond the letter of the law. So the, vo- the verse that's chosen here, that if two people learn together, the divine presence comes down. It uses the verse in Mal- the book of Malachi that says, Oz nidbru Hashem. Then those that are God-fearing people will talk one with the other. And Hashem listens and He hearkens His heart and He writes it down in the book of remembrance for the God-fearing people and for those that meditate in His name. That's the verse. So seemingly, since we're talking about two people that are learning Torah, why do you have to call them God-fearing people? It should say two people that are learning. Why does he say two people that are God-fearing? One you talk, one person will talk with his friend. The God-fearing person talks with each other. Why are you calling them God-fearing? Why don't you call them the learners, the scholars? And the answer is because when they have between them the studying of Torah, that causes a divine presence to come down between them. And it's therefore that's what they're talking about. And therefore, it's in a way that they feel the, the awe of Hashem, their God-fearing. And through them, by them, they pray for the welfare of the government, meaning that the welfare of the government, the king of all kings. And that's in a way where they feel it and they see it, they live it, the king of all kings, that he speaks the words of Torah, and because of this, they reach to the level that the God-fearing people, they're God-fearing to each other, and therefore that leads that they are counted in the books of Hashem, including also that they feel the entire Torah and the names of Hashem. Now, so like I said, this is the conclusion of the Sicha there. Just to add a little bit of some salt and pepper here. So, in the non-edited edition of the Sicha, if you go back to the books where we have the Sicha's Kaidish, where it covers the whole Fabrengen, the next Sicha, the Rebbe said that those that are not God-fearing people are, are the people that are giving out, remember this is 1975, one of the big problems then was that people were getting paid to bring people to make Aliyah to Israel. So they were giving agency money, they were giving out money, let's just use an example. 
they would give a person a thousand dollars for every Jew that you bring to Israel. So people were traveling around the world and trying to convince people, move to Israel, move to Israel, move to Israel. But people said, I'm not Jewish. I would love to move to Israel, but I'm not Jewish. They said, don't worry about it. I have a printer here in my suitcase or wherever. I'll print you a certificate that you're now converted and you're a Jew. Now we all know that that paper is worth no more than a piece of paper. So the Rebbe said at this Fabrengen that those that are not the God-fearing people unfortunately have, are the ones that are giving out these pieces of paper to people that are not Jewish and they're telling them that they're a Jew. Then they move to Israel and they think in their hearts that they're really a Jew. They don't know that they were fooled. So they walk around saying that they're a Jew. So besides the fact of how destructive this is to the country of Israel... It's so destructive to them themselves. Why? Simply because they will never go through a proper conversion because they think that they're converted. So they'll never go the extra steps because in their minds they think what they have is okay. So this deceivingness is actually a major, major problem and you know, we have to now, today, suffer from this and tried to fix this problem, but this is already uh, another whole exercise. But this is mentioned also at that for bringing, I just wanted to uh, mention that.